This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are glad you're here. I have no idea what caused that power outage, but I'm thankful that you are flexible with us. And uh, everything with the exception of Lauren's comments about mine and Angie's home state, I think went really well. I don't really know where all that anger and bitterness came from. She seems kind of sweet until she starts talking. Um, But... Before we get any worse, we're going we're gonna to get started here this morning. So um, I love that song that Lauren did, that O Little Town of Bethlehem, especially, um, you know, that, that uh, chorus is, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And this is the line that's really kind of guiding what we're talking about here this morning, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So today is the second Sunday of Advent. If you weren't with us last week, um, Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas that the church takes to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christ's arrival at Christmas. And because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, Advent actually began last week. And so during Advent this year, we're talking about how Jesus comes and makes Christmas merry, even when it's messy. And this morning, we're going to look specifically at this idea of how does Jesus bring us hope in the mess? And uh, that, that line is really, we're going to see it shine through uh, as we read from Isaiah chapter 9, that idea of the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. And my hope is that when you hear that song from now on, you no longer hear it as a kind Christmas carol or, or just some traditional thing you've done, but you hear that as God's promise to you, wherever you are, whenever you hear it, the hopes and fears of all your years are met in him right in that moment when you hear those words. Whether that's for the first time or for the 10,000th time, Christ comes and brings us hope in the mess. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at uh, Isaiah chapter 9 here in just a minute. Uh, And it's a, a prophecy of Isaiah of what will happen when Christ comes. But all of us understand, if you've ever been through a a messy season of life, you know that a lot of times when uh, life gets uncomfortable, when life gets messy, that uh, it can can feel kind of dark, it can feel kind of gloomy. And whenever you're in that rough season, whether that darkness is um, figurative or it's literal, the darkness makes the mess worse right? Uh, It highlights those feelings of isolation, of depression, of loneliness, of pain, of discomfort. Extended periods of darkness. I don't know if any of you have ever lived in somewhere like Alaska where it is dark for, you know, months on end. Uh, I have not. I have no plans of ever doing it because honestly, that sounds like one of the most depressing ways to exist, where it's just dark constantly, Right, but you, some of you like me, you've had this experience. So I am uh, I'm three weeks out from uh, knee surgery number four here on my right knee. And that first week post-op, after they go in and, you know, just mess up everything in their attempt to fix it and drill into your bones and all this good stuff. So if you've ever had a surgery like that, what you know is that first week after surgery is, is the most painful part, right? It's when all the, just everything's all inflamed and it's uncomfortable. And so for me, that first week after surgery, night's the worst part. Because during the day, I can get up and move around. I can uh, talk to people. I can watch something on TV. I can read a book. I can work on stuff, uh, different things. So you've got all these opportunities during the day to distract yourself. But when night comes, 
Suddenly all the distractions are gone. All your ability to do something else has left, and you're just left there in the quiet, in the dark. And so for me, I hate that first week because it's just, it's like eight, seven or eight hours of just complete discomfort. No matter where you turn, what you try, you're not going to be comfortable. And it's not just physical pain, but if you've ever been through a really messy season of life, right? Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And during the day, your mind can be occupied and you can do different things. But eventually night comes and that moment comes when you lay your head down on the pillow. And even if you fall asleep in 60 seconds, there's still that minute where everything's silent, where everything's quiet. And all those feelings of grief come welling back up to the top. If you've ever experienced the the pain of a broken relationship, you know that feeling of you, you work so hard all day long to not think about it. And then you lay down at night. And again, all that pain and all that suffering comes right back up to the surface. And in the, in the darkness, the mess is highlighted, right? It's, it's more pronounced in the dark. We're, we're alone. There are no distractions that remain. And yet, what we have found in those experiences is that even in our, in our darkest moments, we still have hope. Right? God, the way God has made our hearts is that we will always look for hope. We'll always be able to find small glimmers of hope, even in our most difficult seasons. We strive for ways to make life better. We long for freedom and deliverance. Even those moments at night where we're laying there and we're overwhelmed by the the immensity of our pain, we're still thinking of one day this will be better. And and part of that is how God has made us. And, And I want you to consider times in your life where you've been, maybe that's this morning or maybe it's in the past, where you've been in those seasons of darkness. Seasons where you weren't real sure what would happen, but there was still just this tiny little glimmer of hope, or maybe there was no hope at all. Because how you felt in that moment is how the people of Israel felt when Isaiah prophesied to them in Isaiah chapter 9. So the book of Isaiah is not a particularly uh, hope-filled message for the people of Israel. It comes to them at a time where they are um, experiencing the judgment of God, where they have turned away from him. They have evil kings, evil leaders, and uh, God is basically saying, okay, if that's how you want to live, I'm going to let you experience the consequences of those choices. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, the the people of Israel, they are on the verge of uh, being invaded by a foreign army. They're about to lose the land that God had promised them, which was the the number one sign they had that they were God's chosen people. That life was full of fear. It was full of uncertainty. They did not know what the future was going to look like for them, much less for their children or their grandchildren. And it's in that situation that Isaiah prophesies here in Isaiah chapter 9. And his words would have brought some immediate hope to the people who heard them. But they were not going to be ultimately fulfilled until the arrival of Christ. So if you have a Bible, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're going to highlight some, some thoughts from Isaiah's prophecy here, but what I, what I want you to consider and remember from the very beginning is these are not just hope-filled statements that maybe one day life will be better. But this is a prophecy given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that has been fulfilled in the historical man, Jesus Christ. That all of these promises, they are not things that one day will occur. They are things that have already happened. And because they've already happened, what that means for us is if you find yourself struggling in the darkness this morning, Advent is a wonderful season for you. Right now, it might not feel like it, because like we talked about last week, sometimes the, the, the idealism, the marketing, the nostalgia of Christmas, if we're in a dark place, it just it seems to highlight that for us and it makes us feel that that our life is so far away from the ideal. But what this prophecy that's fulfilled in Jesus, what it means for you this morning is that if you're in darkness, this time of year is a beautiful gift from God to you. Because it's a reminder that when God sees your mess, he doesn't withdraw from you, but he moves towards you. That your mess is not a sign of his absence, but it's an opportunity to experience his presence. And so if you're suffering, if you're hurting this morning, I want you to hear these words as if they are written to you right now today. There will be no more gloom for you who are in distress. When you walk in the darkness, you will see a great light. When you live in the land of deep darkness, the light will dawn. See, hopelessness, darkness is not God's plan for us. Even if it's 100% your fault, if you did everything, I mean, if you go back and read the end of Isaiah chapter 8, he describes the reason the people found themselves in this situation. He says they wanted answers, but instead of turning to God, they turned to spiritists, they turned to other religions, they turned to false gods, and the result of that was that they moved into deeper and deeper and deeper darkness, and yet God's response was to shine his light into their lives. See, it's, it's wonderful because it means even if it's all our fault, even if we have earned every single thing that's happened to us, God's plan is to shine his light, to drive away the darkness, to push out the rage, to push back the depression, and to let his light shine on us. As I was reading through uh, some different, different books this week, studying for this morning's message, I came across this line from a guy named John Oswalt. He said, we have hope. Because the God who is with us wants to turn our darkness to light, our conflict into peace, our loss into abundance, and our despair into joy. 
mean, I want you to consider that this morning. This is what Isaiah's prophecy is all about. God turning your darkness into light. God taking your conflict and turning it into peace. Taking your loss and creating abundance. Taking your despair and replacing it with joy. This is God's plan for us. He is a kind and loving father who gives good gifts to his children. And Advent reminds us God never leaves, he never forsakes, he never turns away, but he moves towards And the wonderful way that Isaiah phrases this reminds us that the way God brings light into our darkness is entirely through his own power. He requires none of our effort. We don't find hope in the mess. Hope finds us in the mess. Isaiah says Christ's light shines into our darkness. He says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The pictures he's using here are intentional to describe to us that our hope and our salvation are rooted in God's sovereign action, not in our own abilities. And that is so, I mean, just so consider it this way. Jesus comes to earth 2,000 years ago. What part did you have to play in that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, completely beyond your control, completely beyond your ability. Before you were a forethought in your daddy's mind, Jesus acted to bring salvation, to bring hope to you. The phrasing Isaiah uses reminds us of the way the angels appear to the shepherds in the Christmas story. Right? They tell us, the gospels tell us that while the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night, The heavenly host appears, the the sky fills with light, and the angels proclaim to the shepherds, they bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What were the shepherds doing in the dark? They were doing their job. They were living their life, and light appeared. Or consider the wise men. They are looking to the heavens for signs. They're hoping to discern from the stars, from the movement of the planets, some some hope for the future. And as they're looking up, what do they see? The sign of a king. And they begin to follow it. And in both of these situations, it reminds us that when we are in the darkness, God sees us, God knows us, God loves us, and he's going to reveal himself to us. And so wherever you are this morning, Advent is good news because it means Christ comes and his light shines right in the middle of your addiction. His light shines right in the middle of your broken relationship. His light shines right in the middle of your jacked up family. His light shines right in the middle of your sickness and your disease and your grief that no matter how deep your darkness, his light dawns. This is tremendously good news for us. You know, the the people of Israel, when you read the Old Testament, they are much like you and me. They have wonderful experiences of God's power, and then they try to do things in their own power. And they mess it up, and they screw it up, and they go back to the land of deep darkness, and God shines his light again, and he draws them back to himself. And then they go through this whole cycle again and again and again. It's a story of many of our lives of feeling close to God and then following our own way and then being rescued and brought back and then following our own way. And and it goes on and on and on. But what you see with the people of Israel, even in their darkest hours, they always had hope. 
And the reason they always had hope was because God had promised, you will be my people and I will be your God. He promised, I have a plan for you and I am always working that plan. Whether it is in mercy or judgment and triumph or defeat, nothing will stop God's plan from being worked out in your life. And so for us, we hear it the same way. Even if life is a disaster, even if it's just bad news piled on top of bad news. I mean, even, even since we started talking about this last week, I've heard from many of you that, hey, Christmas is already messy. Right? There's things in my life that, that have come up in the last week that are not what I thought were going to be part of this Christmas season. And the message of the gospel to you is the same that it was to the people of Israel. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. He has a plan for you, and he is working that plan. And his plan for you this morning is to shine his light of hope into the mess of your life. But that light doesn't just shine through in a, in a metaphorical sense. It shines through in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Isaiah doesn't say, just hang on, God will put hope in your hearts. He says, God will put hope in the world. For unto us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When Isaiah prophesies the arrival of hope in the world, it's the arrival of a person in the world. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. He arrives in the darkness of that Bethlehem stable, bringing light to a world that's in desperate need of him, and, and he continues to arrive in our lives today, bringing hope and life to us. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He followed him. He watched him perform miracles. He messed up and he was restored, and he messed up and he was restored. And when Peter wrote to the early church in 1 Peter 1.3 about the hope that we have in Christ, he phrased it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the arrival of Christ in our world did not just bring hope in a Bethlehem stable. But like we talked about last week, Advent can never be celebrated without the events of Good Friday and Easter in mind. Jesus does not just come as a sweet baby to be cooed and coddled. He doesn't just come as an inspiring figure for us to look back on, but he comes as a savior to transform the hearts of men and women and to restore us into our proper identity as the sons and the daughters of God. And he does this through his resurrection. You see, the hope that Christ provides for us is not just, hey, I did it, now you can too. The hope that he provides is that I came into the land of deep darkness, and I defeated the darkness. I defeated sin. I defeated hell. I defeated the grave. And now that victory that I have won, I now share with you by my spirit that lives inside of you. You see, we don't just hold on to the hopeful sayings of Scripture. Scriptures are beautiful, they are powerful, they are words of life and hope and inspiration to us, but you know when light is dark, you don't need another scripture on your wall, you need God in your life. And that's the promise of the resurrection. 
That it, it's, it's what separates Christianity from every religion in the world. The idea that our hope is not found in, in, in reciting these ancient truths, but our hope is found in the very real and current presence of Jesus in our lives. He is, Peter says, our living hope. He is the one who lives inside us. He is the one who brings hope to us. And when we consider Jesus this way, I think it helps us understand exactly what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah says, look, when you are in gloom, when you are in distress, when you are living in the land of deep darkness, the living hope of Christ enables him to be your wonderful counselor. Right? I mean, consider that. When you are confused, when you're uncertain, when there are all sorts of feelings of darkness, when you don't know whether to go to the left or to the right, when you don't know whether to move forward or to pull back, in that moment you have hope because the wonderful counselor is with you. We trust him in those moments to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, to shine his light and reveal the path that goes before us. This is what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor, not just that he makes us feel better when life is bad, but that he leads us and guides us through every difficult season of life. Right? If, if you've ever spent time with a counselor, you know one of the, the primary ways they help you is just by talking to you just by listening to you, by hearing the things that are going on in your life. And when Jesus is described as our wonderful counselor, it's that and so much more. It's this idea of a a vibrant and active relationship with the Lord where he speaks and you hear, where you speak and he listens and he leads and he guides through all of the uncertainty. When fear makes us us afraid of the, the future, Christ comes as our wonderful counselor to say, no, there is hope because I am with you. There's hope because I am leading you. When we're weak, when the, when the darkness surrounds us, when we're, it's, we're highlighting our inability to do anything about it. We experience the living hope of Jesus by knowing him as our mighty God. Again, Jesus doesn't come just to make us feel better. He doesn't come just to be a role model, but he comes as God in flesh, the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together, the one who made everything, who stands before all of creation. You see, when, when the mess of our lives comes and that darkness surrounds us, most of the time it makes us realize just how powerless we are, right? I mean, you can think you're doing, you're doing really good, you're, you're eating right, you're exercising well, family life is good, but you're just one phone call from the doctor from a, a, a terrible couple of years, right? You might think everything's well. You're one bad phone call from a relative that changes everything. The mess of life highlights our lack of power and reminds us we're not God. We can't get rid of the cancer. We cannot change the heart of a spouse. We we can't get rid of our own sin. And what Advent reminds us of is that what we cannot do, Jesus can. This is why he comes. God sees us in our weakness. He sees us in our distress, and his response is to send his son. So he is never sweet little baby Jesus. He is always the mighty God 
the one who is strong enough to save, the one who is powerful enough to heal, the one who stands ready to deliver, the living hope of resurrection in every moment. See, we also experience his living hope when we know him as our everlasting father. When Isaiah talks about Jesus as our everlasting father, it's a way that maybe we don't typically think of him. Your understanding of the Trinity uh, is, is limited. It's hard for us to understand this idea of the Godhead three in one, all together. But Isaiah is pointing us towards that idea when he says, Jesus will be your everlasting father. Just like he tells us he will be mighty God, he's now telling the people of Israel, the Lord your God whom you have served will be revealed to you in the Messiah. This is God incarnate, Jesus, your everlasting Father. When we pray that Lord's Prayer together every week and we're asking God, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking Jesus, provide for us in our need. You know, and, and whenever we're in a season of lack, whether that is financially or physically or relationally or just a, a, a lack of, of hope, a lack of calmness, whatever it is, Jesus comes to us. The living hope of Christ comes to us in the, the presence of an everlasting father who sees the needs of his children and provides for them. And I mean, consider if you're, if you're a parent, consider your own love for your own children. And we don't do everything well. We all make mistakes. But in our hearts, we have this undying, unending love for our kids that I would do anything for them. And when I see them in need, my natural response is to run towards them, not to run away from them. And this is what the living hope of Christ as our everlasting Father does for us. It reminds us he is with you. He sees you, he knows you, and he is moving towards you. He never turns away from his children. The last thing Isaiah tells us is that we will experience the living hope of Christ as our Prince of Peace. We're going to come back to this one in a couple weeks and, and talk about more extensively what it means for Christ to be our peace. But for this morning, I, I just want you to understand if, if you're in a situation that has robbed you of your peace, if you're in a situation that has caused you to uh, I, I mean, it's keeping you up at night. It's consuming your thoughts. You don't see any way out. Then I want you to hear the living hope of Christ in your life, in your life looks like the Prince of Peace. The one on whom the, the world's governments will rest on his shoulders. That of his reign of justice and righteousness, there will be no end. And that's not just true out here, but it's also true in here. His peace will pervade your life in ways that you don't understand, in ways that you cannot under, can't explain to others, you will know that no matter how bad it gets, your heart can be at rest because Jesus is with you. See, we find this living hope, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, we experience it because the presence of Christ is real in us. If we had time this morning, we could go around and many of you could tell stories of how you have found the living hope. And he has comforted you in your sorrows. He has counseled you in your suffering. He has brought peace into your chaos. He's been stronger than your afflictions. The testimony of the church is never look at us and what we've accomplished, but it is always look at Jesus and what he's doing. Jesus 
is our hope in the mess. And even if you don't believe it, I, I want to take you back to Isaiah in the, the very last line of his prophecy. He tells the people of Israel, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Right? And so we come this morning and, and you can hear me say, Jesus is your living hope. And you think, maybe for you, but not for me. And you think, well, that's, that's just not true because you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I can't know him as a wonderful counselor because I, I make poor choices. I can't know him as an everlasting father because I'm the prodigal child. I can't know him as the prince of peace because I'm the one who sows the chaos. But I want you to hear the last line of that prophecy, what Isaiah was telling the people of Israel. You see, most of the other times in, in the Old Testament when a prophet would rebuke the people of Israel, he would tell them, this is what God requires, and if you will do this, God will do that. Right? There was always something in the prophecy that was dependent on their action. I mean, think of, think of the one you've heard a lot of times. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will hear the hill of their land. Right? It's a great promise, but it requires that the people do something about it. When it comes to the promise of the Messiah, though, this is a one-sided prophecy. This is all about what God is going to do. This is God's eternal message of hope to people who are in deep darkness. Because he's saying, look, I know you're in gloom. I know you're in distress. I know most of it's your fault. And so here's what I'm going to do. The zeal of God Almighty will accomplish this. It is God's passion for God's people that makes the coming of Christ possible and that continues to make it a reality in your life. You did nothing to earn it. In fact, all you're gonna do for the rest of your life is give God more reasons that he should withdraw it from you, right? If we're good at anything, it's at screwing up the good things God gives us. And yet Isaiah's prophecy rings so true in our lives. It has been fully realized in Christ. And it has been accomplished by the zeal of the Lord. His passion for your life is the motivation for sending Christ to us. And he is not going to be held back by your mistakes or by your darkness. Today, his light is dawning again. Today, his light shines in. And one of the beautiful things, when the light shines into the darkness, See, when, when we get into the mess, we, we tend to look down. We tend to begin to look down and to, to study our mistakes and to study our pain and to study our uncertainty. And, and the deeper in that we dive, it, it creates blinders around us until all we see is this massive problem, this massive darkness that there's no way out. But when the light dawns, what it does is it, it shines from above and it shines from beyond. And even when we're down here and we're right in the middle of the mess and we can't see anything, the light begins to break through. And the more the light shines, the more we see the smallness of our field of vision. 
and eventually we'll begin to start to look up and to look around and we'll see that it's not just a little bit of light that has dawned over here, but it is a surrounding light. It's an encompassing light. It's coming up from above and below, from in front and behind, from the left and the right. And the light of Christ, when we begin to see it in that way, it shrinks our darkness back to the pitiful little pile that it actually is. And we see a zealous God who will not be stopped in his pursuit of his people. And so I don't know what you're facing this morning, but I know Christ is your hope, that he is your ever-present help in times of trouble, that he will not leave you or turn away from you, but he is shining his light into your life this morning. And regardless of how others have treated you, regardless of the mistakes that you have made, that living hope remains available because of what Christ has done. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you, and then the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a song. God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were still living in the land of deep darkness, Christ died for us. And Lord, I pray especially this morning for those who need to experience your hope, who need to experience your life. Lord, may the living hope of Christ fill their hearts. May your power and your presence make a difference for them. Lord, we look to you, we trust in you, we have no other option for hope, no other option for salvation, no other place to look for our deliverance. So Jesus, come this morning. Come into the middle of our mess. Be our wonderful counselor. Be the mighty God who brings deliverance, the everlasting Father who provides, the Prince of Peace who reigns. God, we surrender to you and we ask that your spirit would come and make these things a reality in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.